Uh, if you were here last week, you know that we concluded our annual vision series in which we kind of unpack our vision and values as a church and where we sense God leading us in the year ahead. If you missed uh, that series of teachings, the podcasts are available uh, on our website. But today, we are picking up again in the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to John 13, verse 1. And as you turn there, I'm going to take a few minutes to get us Uh, oriented or reoriented with this book that we have been going through. Uh, Almost a year ago, last November, we started verse 1, chapter 1 in the Gospel of John, and that first half of the book is known as the Book of Signs, uh, chapters 2 through 12, in which uh, John has handpicked seven signs, uh, which Uh, Jesus performed for the Jewish nation over a period of about a three-year ministry. And to be clear, Jesus performed hundreds or even thousands of signs, or what we would call miracles, uh, for uh, the Jewish nation. But John has handpicked seven, and that number seven is significant. Because in first century Jewish culture, seven uh, was symbolic of fullness or completion. And so John has just picked seven in a sense to make a statement that seven is enough It is sufficient. It is all you need uh, to make a clear verdict about who Jesus is and what he's about. And then as you get to the midway point in the book, in chapter 12, uh, John finishes with the seventh sign. And right after that seventh sign, we get the verdict from the Jewish nation, from the high priest and the leadership, who ultimately decide to kill Jesus. So you have that first half of the book, the book of signs, which covers years worth of time. But by the time we step into chapter 13 this morning, we're actually starting the second half of John's gospel. And we are already down to the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. It's the the half of the entire gospel account is devoted to his last day, his execution, and the resurrection that follows. As we step into this last 24 hours, Jesus is turning his attention from the nation, from the crowds and the multitudes of people who have been tracking with him and trying to figure out exactly who he is. They've now rejected him and he's returning his attention inward. And what we're going to read about from here forward over this, uh, over these next uh, 10 plus chapters is Jesus alone with his disciples, sort of his parting words and instructions to them, which kick off right here in chapter 13, where John writes this. He says, it was just before the Passover, chapter 13, verse 1, <clears throat> it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from the Father and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, submit ourselves to you and to your kingship. We express, um, those of us who have given our lives to you, uh, we express uh, that it is our greatest desire to follow you through this life and into eternity and to be shaped into your image in the process. And we recognize that requires real days, real hours, real decisions, real work of the Holy Spirit within us uh, to move from the image of Adam and the patterns of this world into the image of Christ and what it, was, what it truly looks like uh, to be liberated, to be human, to be uh, full in, in every sense that you intend. And so I pray that you would come and work among us today, that what we speak about would be uh, more than information, but it would be the basis of transformation, that you would show us uh, what are we even seeking after, what are we aiming for when it comes to uh, discipleship and daily life with you. Would you come now and open our eyes to your goodness and what it looks like to respond to that goodness with our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus goes to sit down to his final meal with his disciples, he does something that is counterintuitive and unexpected. It says that he gets up he takes off his outer garments or, or a coat, so to speak, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And this is shocking, uh, first off, because their feet are in an awful state. If you understand, like wearing sandals on first century roads and everything that would have been on those roads, uh, their feet are in terrible condition. And secondly, because this is a job that would have been reserved only for a slave in the ancient world and probably a young slave at that. It was an uh, embarrassing, humbling, almost humiliating job to literally um, scrub crap off of people's feet. Uh, 
and make them clean. Uh, which is why Peter, in this situation, is actually very uncomfortable. He, he's sort of shocked and taken aback, and he has this response of like, no, Lord, I cannot allow you to do that to me. It's not fitting. It's not right. It makes me feel uncomfortable to see you uh, assuming that position uh, in front of us. Uh, Peter knows and has had these moments of glimpsing this is more than a rabbi. This is more than a spiritual guru or a great teacher. This is the Son of God who's actually here in front of us, speaking to us. Uh, he, he is the rightful king, not just of Israel, but over humanity and the world. And yet here he is now kneeling down in front of me, uh, rubbing this stuff off of my feet. Uh, but the reason that Jesus is able to do this, the reason that he's able to sort of step out of the, the, the box of cultural expectations, here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do, and the reason he's freed up from that to be able to serve the disciples in this shocking, almost provocative, uncomfortable way is that he has a firm sense of who he is. In fact, John says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So just stop and think about that for a second. He's saying Jesus was firmly rooted in his identity. I know where I came from. I know where I'm headed. He knows the way that God loves him and honors him. He knows the, the dignity that he has as a son of the Father. He knows that, that God's give him, given him power and authority. So, therefore, in light of all of that, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Isn't that interesting? that it's, John explicitly says it's out of his identity. It's because he has clarity about who he is. The love of the Father, the glory of the Father, uh, the dignity and authority that he has in God, that, that then, he's, then he's freed up to go and serve the disciples in unexpected ways, expressing the heart of the Father as he goes. In other words, Jesus is secure. If you think about the way that human beings operate, insecurity typically breeds competition. If I'm insecure in who I am uh, if, if I don't sense or see the love of the Father, if I don't know who I am in Christ, I, I'm going to naturally express that in ways that aren't healthy. Insecure people, they need to be on top. They need to be recognized. They need to be acknowledged. They need people to respect them. What do I have to do to get you to respect me and affirm who I am? And in our consumer culture, it can express itself in some really odd ways. I will buy any car I need to in order to get you to just, I just need you to affirm me, to respect me. I need you to think of me 
as someone higher than you on whatever totem pole it is. Uh, not so with Jesus. He, he has nothing to prove. He's not out looking for other people to, hey, acknowledge me and who I am and serve me and lift me up, although that's what we need uh, to do, ironically. Uh, but, but he doesn't need that. He knows, he knows the love of God and the grace of God over his life. He has a sense of the Spirit of God within him, the dignity that he has. No, I am a son of the Father. And there's no respect or disrespect that anyone in this world could show me that will change that. I, I don't need it. I, I don't need the praise that comes from other people. I, it doesn't matter what the cultural expectation is in this moment. I'm, I'm free of that. And as a result, he can go straight to what the Father wants him to do. He isn't inhibited by these other things. And in this case, what the Father wants him to do is to humble himself and, and demonstrate the heart of the Father in the process. He says, I, I want you to show these disciples my self-giving love. Show, this, is, this is not just an act of self-denial for Jesus. It is an act of self-expression as God himself. He says, this is what God is like. This is my heart posture toward you. And, and, but it's out of his identity that he's then freed up to do that and, and reveal the heart of the Father. This self-giving, humble, I, I, will, I will lower myself for your benefit. And, and what he's demonstrating in foot washing, that same heart of God, is what's going to drive him to the cross. Same posture, just higher stakes. I, I, will, I will humble myself and take on a position I have no business taking on, but I do it for your benefit. I do it for your flourishing. So Jesus is showing the world uh, and his disciples in this moment, this is what God is like. This is, this is a, a revelation, you could actually say in biblical language, an epiphany of this is what God is actually like, as opposed to the images we carry in our minds. But not only is it an act of self-expression, in the same breath, it's actually loaded with invitation. Jesus is not just saying, this is what the Father is like. In the same breath, he's saying, you can live this way. There's actually a new type of life on offer that I'm going to demonstrate to you. I want you to come and live in the place where I live. I want you to operate on the spiritual plane on which I operate. Come and follow me. After he finishes washing their feet, he makes it plain. He asks them, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? which if I were there, I, wouldn't, I, I would not understand. But he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. In other words, I maintain all of my dignity and authority. My identity is not changed in this, uh, but, but I'm acting something out for you. If I can do this, knowing fully who I am, then you also should wash one another's feet. He says, I have set an example that you should do 
as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, now that I've revealed to you this new way of life, you will be blessed if you do them. So in in one moment, in one scene, in one experience with his disciples, he's simultaneously saying, this is what the Father is like. So you have to reconcile that with other broken and flawed images of what you think God is like. This is what I am like as the Son of God. But it's also what you will be like as you follow after me. Paul, while writing to the church in Philippi, has this to say as an encouragement to the church. He says, in your relationship with one another, relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So we don't just worship him. He's saying, actually, he's, he's blazing a trail for you to follow. Follow his example. Have the same mindset that he did. He was in very nature God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He he didn't leverage it or dominate other people. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Think of all the passages in Scripture. This does the the, the best job of demonstrating where Jesus started and where Jesus finished. Saying, no, I humble. Coming into humanity was humbling. Being born to an unwed teenage mother in poor circumstances was humbling. Being insulted and rejected by almost everyone was humbling, being betrayed by one of the people that you loved and poured into. That's hum- but it just keeps getting lower and lower. I was obedient all the way to death, and then within all the ways you could die, it was the worst way in the ancient world. He started in the highest of high places, and he chose willingly to come all the way to the lowest place that he could. But within this, you get a sense, wow, pa- Paul gets it. Like Paul understands the radical foot-washing nature of God. That God has all the power, all the authority. He's in the highest place in the universe. Angels are endlessly worshiping him. And guess what? They love it. That's what they long to do. If you could do anything in the universe, what would you do? I want to be in the fullness of God's presence filled with his glory and the full light of his face, just emanating that back to him. And and that's where he was. And then if you could almost imagine being in that place and watching him stand up, enthroned over the universe, stand up and come down from his throne and just start walking down and down and down. So they just watch like, what, what is that? What is God doing? He chose to, to come down to this place at the very bottom where he dies insulted and shamed among criminals. He says people didn't even want to look at him. He was just disfigured. 
and, and shamed, hung out, literally naked and exposed to the world. And, and yet in that moment, he, he was full of righteousness, full of the love of the Father, blessed and honored by the Father for what he was doing, scorning the shame of the cross. Somehow Jesus is full of dignity in the midst of shame. And then Jesus says, come follow me. Or more clearly, come die to yourself, to your false self, to your old self, to what the scriptures would describe as the flesh. Die to that. Die to that part of you that wants to get the nicest car you can so people will respect you. Like set that aside, that old pattern, that old way of doing things. Die to yourself and come follow me. And guess what? As you do that, you will find a greater type of life than you ever had in the old. And that's the great mystery of the kingdom of God. It says you follow Jesus into death, both uh, metaphorically and literally. He says you will find greater life than you ever had before when life was about you. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the natural, fleshly, human impulse that we have to fight as disciples of Jesus. You try to save your life, it's going to slip through your fingers. You become increasingly frustrated as you try and grip and grab and control and manipulate and get everyone to respect me. But if you lose your life, if you just give it away and plunge yourself into the, into the kingdom of God, you will find something so much better and richer and more eternal and more enduring than what you were attempting to build for yourself. There, there's something hidden within the foot washing life. And Jesus almost has to say, you just have to trust me. Just step out into this type of life. You can't see it from the outset. It is foolishness in the eyes of the world. Deny myself, pick up my cross, wash people's feet. Like willingly, like I'm just going to choose this type of life. And, he's, and he says, there, there is a quality, an abundance hidden within this life that, that you won't encounter until you get there. But trust me, I, I'm, I, the things that Jesus invites us into, he invites us into for, for our good and his glory. He says, no, this is actually the best thing for you. This is actually the best way that you could live is to follow me, is to pattern yourself in this same way of thinking. 
So to recap, if we are to imitate Jesus in this, in this path, in this invitation that he's inviting us to as his followers and disciples, uh, we have to uh, do these things. First, we uh, rest firmly in our identity in God. Notice that that's the foundation. That's where Jesus starts. I know who I am. I know where I came from, or in our case, we would say, I know who made me and knit me together in the womb. I know who I am in Christ, and I know where I'm headed. If I, if I die in a car crash on the way home today, I know what's next, and I'm not afraid of that. I, I am rooted in my identity, and then out of that, I can die to my old self, to my false self, to the patterns of this world and be freed up to serve others in counterintuitive ways. Ways that, that almost can make people feel uncomfortable sometimes. Like, what, what are you doing? That's not what you're supposed to do. That's Peter at the, at the meal. That's not what you're supposed to do. But then out of that, the result, as Jesus said, you will begin to experience life that is truly life, both now and in eternity. In fact, in that longer passage, if we had read the whole thing, Jesus actually breaks into a talk on eternity. He says, no, you, you come follow after me. You're going to taste something in this life that you can taste in no other way. There's no other way to find it other than following me in this foot-washing type of life. And not only will you have a rich experience in that, but I'm going to come back at the end of the age and reward you for the way that you lived. So, so he's, he's shifting our, our focus, our awareness toward that place. But notice that all of it starts with identity. It's born out of identity. So much damage can be done if we sort of uh, approach or enter Christianity as a system of morality or as a rule-based religion oh man, my life's just a mess and it's so immoral. I just need rules to live by. Maybe I'll check out that Christianity thing. Or, or even if we come in and, and we see, oh man, the cross, the resurrection, through these things, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, which is true. Jesus was talking about that at the dinner. All of you is clean. You're cleansed from sin and its, and its consequences. And, and you're free, I'm, I'm pure, I'm washed clean. But sometimes we stop there. And, and even that isn't enough to say, I'm just a human being who, who can get a blank slate whenever they want one or something like that. What, what, what Jesus is, is inviting us into, what Paul is talking about, is actually something deeper than that. It, it's based out of identity. We, we have to grasp that through cross and resurrection, we're not simply forgiven and left as we are. We're, we actually become new creations in, in which your old self is put to death, crucified with Christ in that place, and, and you become a son of God or a daughter of God with all of the blessing, with all of the security, with all of the favor, with all of the abundant grace that comes along with that. And, and, and that's the place Jesus is operating out of. And he says, I want you to do that too. 
you are to become what I am. You are to do what I do. And it's really easy for us to miss that first step. You say, oh, I'm a human being, I'm forgiven, and now Jesus wants me to go and do this stuff. Now he wants me to go and wash people's feet. No, no, it's based out of his identity. Have you slowed down long enough to actually dwell on, meditate on, receive, celebrate, enjoy, savor who you are in Christ? He says, no, settle. Take as long as you need to to settle that in your heart. Just enjoy the radiant grace of God, the favor, the blessing. This is my son. This is my daughter and whom I'm well pleased. God, I haven't washed any feet yet. That doesn't matter. That is not the basis of your favor. That's not the basis of your blessing. So, and, and this can take work. It can take months. It can take years of journeying and saying, no, this, this is who I am. I'm, I'm favored. I'm accepted. I'm treasured. I, he delight. When, when God looks at you, he sees you. He knows you. Right? All the fears in your head, all the whatever. But he also sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness and beauty of his one and only son in you, shining out of you. He approaches you the way he would approach Jesus. And we, have to, we have to find ourselves. Uh, Paul actually says, no, no the, the work you're to do as a disciple is to keep yourself in the grace of God. Not through striving, but through awareness. No, 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 I need to, keep, I need to continually receive that this is who I am. This is my identity. I know who made me. <laughs> I, I know how I was made into a new creation. I know who I am right now, and I know where I'm headed. Take as long as you need to, to, to settle that first. And then, as we embrace that, as we uh, enjoy that in the presence of God, we're freed up to live a different type of life. Uh, we're freed up to... Uh, follow Jesus into counterintuitive and beautiful acts in the world. But it starts by receiving that blessing, that identity, that favor, that security. I have an unshakable place before the Father in Christ. And after receiving... And only after receiving and establishing ourselves, then we can go out. Now I can wash feet with a full view of where it's coming from and, and where I'm headed. And I see this in my own life. I can even think about, and Paul says in your relationships, you could think about your different relationships. For me, one of my primary, the most primary relationship in my life, outside of my relationship with God, is my relationship with my wife. And so I can run all of this through that grid or through that lens. On the days when I'm operating out of my identity, things go way better than on the days when I don't. On the days when I'm just feeling insecure and I don't really have a clear sense of who I am in God and I don't feel favored and I don't feel loved and I don't feel blessed, I just feel disconnected from God. I act out of fear, I act out of insecurity and things do not go well in our relationship. Things are tense. We're more likely to fight or to argue or to feel different. On my good days, 
I, I'm operating out of my identity. No, I, I know who I am in Jesus. And if I'm settled in that identity, then I can be more like Jesus in our marriage. As one example of a relationship. Uh, when I'm secure and I'm operating in the Father's blessing, oh man, this is who I am. This is what I have in Christ. Then I can set myself aside. I can listen. I can pay attention. I can be other-focused. I, I can begin to serve and honor my wife in new and creative ways that were not available to me in my insecurity. When I'm insecure, I become fearful. I feel the need to defend myself. All of a sudden, we're talking and things get tense, but I feel disrespected. And, and something, oh man, I'm insecure, I'm fearful. I, need to, I feel disrespected, now I have to act. Now I have to defend myself. I need you to respect me. How, how could you say that? How could you say that? And, and, and things only get worse from there because I'm acting out of insecurity. I'm acting out of fear. I need to secure something for myself. When, I, when I'm secure in who I am in Christ, whoa, I can approach simple conversations and everyday relationships from a totally different angle. I can receive what I believe to be insult or disrespect from my wife, not that she's intending that, but this is what I'm receiving. In my own mind, I say, oh, that's insulting. That's disrespectful. I can say, it's, it's okay. I, uh, my my well-being is not dependent on that. Uh, scripture says that when they hurled insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. He didn't insult back. He, he was on a different plane. <laughs> I, it, no, my identity doesn't rise and fall based on the crowds and, and what they think of me and whether or not they respect me. Instead, it says, he entrusted himself to God, to the one who judges justly. It's like, no, I'm okay. I don't need to retaliate. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to fight for my honor and respect out in the world or in my relationships. I don't need to take that personally. Uh, I, I'm secure in the blessing and favor of God, and, and we can work this out. Let's get to the heart of our disagreement. Let's move past the, those immediate feelings of disrespect and defensiveness, and let's solve the real problem, and let's move forward together. And if I need to metaphorically wash your feet in this moment, I can do that. I'm, I'm free. I'm free from those other broken patterns. I'm, I'm operating on a different plane. If I can receive the blessing and identity that I have, moment by moment, hour by hour, in practical situations, I'm freed up to sort of die to my flesh and interact in a different way in those relationships. But it starts with that identity. Out of that identity, I can then act differently and I can experience a richer, more abundant type of life in that order. In my marriage, in, in, my, in my friendships, in the way I interact with people, whether it's in person or online, uh, the, the way I approach difficult issues, the way I approach politics, the way I approach what 
He says, in all of your relationships, digital or in person, you can take on this mentality. No, I, it's okay. If, if, if you hurl insults at me in this place, I'm okay. I, I do not rise or fall off of that. I know who made me. I know who I am. I know the blessing. I am secure. I have this sense of security in Christ. And therefore, all of my relationships and the way that I interact with others can be transformed. It's only because of that that he's like, no, I'm secure. I can get up. I can put on the towel. I can act like a slave to you in this moment. And I, I maintain all my dignity. I'm here as a blessed son of the Father. This does not confuse. I'm not confused about who I am. But I can do this for you. And I want you to do this for others. We act out of that place. So two questions to wrestle with as we close. Uh, number one, do you have a firm sense of where you came from, who you are, and where you are headed? Because if not, it's going to be really hard to live this out. It's going to be really hard to humble yourself and uh, quote-unquote wash the feet of others in your life. Do you feel settled in that? Or do you feel like, man, there's some stuff I really need to work out with God in order to feel settled uh, in that place? And number two, what does this actually look like? What does it look like when my identity is settled and I go to act out of that? What does it actually look like for us as disciples of Jesus to wash people's feet in our day-to-day -day life? How can I follow the example of Jesus? He says, now that you know this, now that you know what I'm inviting you to, you will be blessed if you do this. You will find a unique, abundant type of life if you can follow me in this arena of your life. So, so what does it look like for us to do that? I have, ne well, aside from like my kids when they get dirty in the yard, I have never washed anyone's feet, okay? I don't think that's really prevalent in our culture. That's not something that we, that we do. But there are equivalents in every arena of life, ways that we can embody this and, and, and live this out as we follow Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for us real quick and then I'm gonna explain uh, how I want us to respond. Thank you.